Welcome to Exploring the Seasons of Life, a podcast for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey. I'm your host, Cindy McMillan, and I'm joined today by Justine Wong. Each week, I interview coaches and spiritual explorers from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. This interview is part of a self-care series called Life in Full Bloom, Living from the Inside Out. Now, you may be wondering, wait, what does she mean, living from the inside out? I believe the way you feel about yourself on the inside will ultimately determine what you create for yourself on the outside. I am so delighted to introduce my guest today. Justine Wong is a burnout survivor, social impact calligrapher, and creative workshop facilitator. She is passionate about creating spaces where art and conversation become a bridge to explore self-awareness around topics like mental health and racism, both at a personal and societal level. She crafts experiences that empower compassionate doers to build a sustainable life with intention so they can impact their world from a full heart. She brings 20 years of experience in leadership and spiritual development adult education, and communication in the nonprofit startup world. Justine, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. Just all the language that you use is like all the words that I like to use. So I'm like, this is going to be a good conversation. (laughs) Yes, it is. And I start off all my podcasts the same way. And that is, what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in your business? Such a great question. And seasons is actually one of my favorite words ever that has become one of my words of my life following my biggest burnout of six years. Um, It was three years to crash and not realize that I was getting to the bottom of the hill and then three years coming out the other side of it. And essentially, like my background being a cultural background that's Asian, as well as being in the nonprofit and the startup world, it's it's a that those cultural contexts led me to a lot of living on the outside first and living very performance oriented all the time, which means you're on all the time and there's no there's no ebb and flow. You're just supposed to be maximum productive all the time, naturally. Um, and I think that's not even that those were exacerbated by my cultural context, but we certainly live in a culture where that is the norm to be on all the time. So when I burnt out that badly, it there was no rushing it. There was this 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 sense of, okay, I am off now. So if I am off, how can I, how do I live by seasons? And so the healing process really was one of recognizing, acknowledging the current season, the three years that it took in the Valley and admitting, I don't know where this is going. I don't even know how long it's going to last. And this feels like forever. And that, I mean, that's just a hard place to be. But since recovering from that, and then also continuing with the ebbs and flows, it's just much more intentional in recognizing, okay, well, what season is am I in right now? Um, how do I lean into that ebb and flow? And so if we even think about 
literally the seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall, that applies on a daily basis, right? We wake up first thing in the morning, it's spring, we move into a summer energy in the, during the day, we move into a fall energy in the evening, and then in the winter is like sleep and hibernation time, right? It happens on a weekly schedule too. Like what's your energy like at the beginning on a Monday versus on a Saturday? It's going to be different quarterly and annually, et cetera. So for me being seasons of life really means paying attention, listening, acknowledging, and not trying to push through the slower seasons, which is easier said than done. Of course, (laughs) we can talk more about that later. (laughs) And, and you mentioned before I, I hit the record button that you had been listening to some of the um, my episodes. And so mm-hmm. you you can see as I and I say this almost every time, but everybody's idea of the seasons is so mm-hmm. unique and so yes. beautiful. But it's also it's almost like it's universal as well. Yes. Yes. And I, I, love and I that. really and I really love that. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're definitely organic beings, right? So like you ask this question a a year from now and I might have a different answer and you would have a different answer probably too. Exactly. So when I was introducing you, I said you were a social impact calligrapher and I really would like to know what that is and also how you use calligraphy as a tool for mindfulness. Right. So most people like that's, it's kind of a term that my friend came up for me. uh, Because when we think of self care, or we think of creativity, we typically think just ourselves, or if we think calligraphy, we think pretty letters, and we think weddings and, you know, like vow renewals and poems, which can be that for sure. Uh, But for me, my, my life is all and my message is all about connection to ourself, to other people, and to the world. So self care for me, is not just about caring for myself. Actually, I don't even like the term because it's so overused. So self-advocacy is a term I've heard somebody use that really resonates with me, especially your audience of, you know, people with big hearts, right? And one of my counselor friends calls it emotional paramedics. We're always giving to other people first. And I just love that term. And so for me, so the calligraphy and the self-care piece it's, to, it's a way to be present to yourself so that you can be present to the world around you, not from a place of franticness. And so for me, it's really, it's really, I call it expressive lettering. So it's a mixture of like calligraphy and words and journaling with an intention of just the slowing down. So even in the moment, you can't multitask when you're doing this, generally speaking, I mean, other than having music on podcasts on in the background. Um, but it's also just, it's, it's as simple as even breathing with your pen, slowing down to actually like get down to pen and paper. Um, and then doing a process for me of reflecting on the meaning of the words and what does that visually look like? So I journal, I typically, I think I'm jumping ahead to some of the other questions, but typically I'll journal a little bit every day, but that's just a brain dump. And then at the end of the week, I have a rhythm where I actually go back and I kind of study what my life has been telling me. Um, And then I want to remember the gems. So then that's where I intentionally write, say the message is slow down or take a breath, anything like those types of catchphrases for myself. And then I'll like write it out in a visual way, either the color or the shape of the letters as a way for me to remember. So there's 
there's the goal of like writing it down, which gets it more in my brain. But then there's also the reminder that it gets to be for me, um, whether I look at it at the end of the quarter or whether I put it up on my wall so I can be reminded of what my heart has been telling me all along. But I'm usually, can be, it's, it can be very easy to disconnect from it if I'm just on autopilot. You know, Justina, I love that. And I was having a conversation with another guest about journaling. And one of the ways that I used to do mm. journaling was taking a quote that really resonates with me yes, mm-hmm. and then writing out what that means to me. So I tried yeah. to do something different and I was going to like dictate what mm-hmm. I was, what that quote was meaning to me. And I was finding that for me, I needed to write down what that meant to me because that mm-hmm. was like how I was remembering. So I, I totally get what yes. you're saying. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I think it's very much to, I think, well, mindfulness and, and a huge element of mindfulness is being present, right? So there's a lot of like, it's more about the moment you're in and the, the intention behind the word than pretty a pretty outcome at the end. So I might actually have a really messy looking quote or phrases if it's been actually a hard or challenging concept or idea or message of some kind. And it's less about how pretty it looks and more about what the the mood and the intention of how I create it. So even if, I, if, if I'm writing something more angsty and stressful, I might do it in a more quick motion to reflect how I'm feeling. Um, or if I'm writing something that's more slow and thoughtful, I'll, I'll actually slow it down as well. So there's multiple levels of mindfulness in that process. Yeah, just love the the way that you were describing that because I had that I not using calligraphy, but I had just had that mm-hmm. experience of the, of the writing. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I want to talk, stay on the topic of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at your website; it's beautiful. You have you know all these great workshops and different things that you do. And I saw that you were going to have a workshop. Now, maybe you've already had it or it's coming up. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But it was called Mindfulness in the Messy Middle, Holding Space to Explore the Place Between Grief and Joy. Man, that landed on my heart. I Mm. When I saw that, I just loved Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that workshop? Sure. Um, So that process that I just described to you that I do for myself, I lead, I host spaces for people to do that for themselves as well. And that's something that regular that I do, but they have different topics. So it might be vision boards, it might be gratitude, it could be any number of topics. But with the pandemic anniversary happening in March and April this year, um, there was someone in my network from LA who was like, hey, um, I feel, well, and particularly California was hit, you know, hard with the pandemic. So they were like, we, we kind of want to do something to mark the, not celebrate it, but we want to do something to mark that uh, anniversary um, and just acknowledge, you know, how hard it's been. Would you be willing to come and do something for us? And so that's where it began. But I've since run it three or four times in multiple contexts. And I think I'm going to stick with it um, where it'll it's very much a, a series, you know, where we can swap out the topic, but it's the same uh, 
it's the same intention is to hold that space because I think we naturally want to push away the hard stuff. That's just naturally like anything is uncomfortable unless there are certain personality types. My boyfriend is like this where it's like he's up for the challenge. He, he gets energized by that kind of thing. But I think it's more naturally human to push things away. Um, and we want to move on to the next thing. So even, you know, the new year happened and we're clearly still in the middle of the pandemic. And the most instinctive thing with new year, even though it's middle of winter is to say, we're ready for spring now, New Year's this and that. And we tend to have this false, toxic, over, to over positive attitude. And that's very normal. I don't want to shame anybody for having that reaction. It's very instinctive. Um, but then, of course, the year continued to start off to a big bang that was a lot of it was really hard. And then we're like, oh, we're still in this place right? And we're wishing it forward. So the intention behind the workshop or that space really is to give space to validate the hard things. And then some people who are already moving on to the lessons and things like that was giving space to also celebrate the good things and the growth and the realization. I'm sure every person has something where they either took something for granted or they latched onto a truth that was in a deeper way, in a fresh way with the pandemic. So we wanted to make space for that. But also if someone was still in a hard space, not to rush them on to the next thing. And I find in general, that's not intuitive. There's not a lot of natural spaces to do that. And you would know this hosting your, your grief, uh, your grief cafes. Right. And so <laughs> it's, I find the people who want to go there, like they have to go looking for it almost. Right? right. And it's not that they don't want to do it, but it's like, yeah. you don't just naturally hit your friends up about it. Even if you do have a trusting bond and history with them, um, especially if you're not used to going there. And sometimes it can also be like, I don't know, even know where to start. Like it just give me something. It's been, so, there's so much that happened in the last year. Can you just give me some structure so I can just enter in this space and begin to explore that. So that's really my desire there. And I think that, I'm guessing that a lot of your people that listen are very thoughtful people, uh, but perhaps struggle with taking the time for themselves. So like they might even like me have like a pile of journal prompts there, <laughs> but they, they don't necessarily like take the time to actually do it because of those subconscious reasons or life really is. They have a lot of responsibilities. So my intention is like, OK, well, make a date with yourself. It can be easier to do this with other people. And then when you do actually get into the space to actually share if you're feeling led to do so, there's always this magical component where people realize, just like you said about how we answer the seasons of life question, there's commonality, but there's uniqueness. And that comes out every time and every group has a different mood and personality. And that's probably one of my favorite things to see come out. And people who might seem like, okay, well, I didn't think I would have anything in common with that person, but wow, I really resonated with what they shared. Um, and just that sense. So even if someone is in a more reflective space and they don't necessarily share, they'll still come out knowing, feeling like they've been seen and heard in that space. And I feel like if we had more of that in the world today, connecting to that outside piece, the world would be kinder. Sure, we'd still have conflicts, but we would be able to actually get further in those dialogues, um, especially in those hard conversations with people. Yeah, Justine, you're right. The um, death cafes that I hold, one of the, I, I kind of title it, um, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I can't remember mm -hmm. the exact words, but it's talking about the elephant in the room because you're right. Most people don't have those spaces to be able to talk about those harder subjects. Mm -hmm. So I it's think like it's even beautiful with, what yeah. you're doing. 
Thank you. And I love that you're doing your cafes as well, because we need, there's not enough spaces. So <laughs> anybody who feels inspired to do that with, with your circle, please, please go ahead. <laughs> yes. So, you know, the series is around self-care. And so how do you, or how I should say, how do we show up mm-hmm. for ourselves, slow down and refill our cups? What is your thoughts around that? So I feel like the biggest first step with this that's a constant muscle to exercise is first knowing and believing that you're worth the time. There's a yes. the word self-care, like I said earlier, is a little overused, but there can feel it can feel like it's very selfish. And in some cultures, either family culture or like my like Asian culture, there's a there's the other direction where it's like you put everybody else first, and that's considered um, that's what's honored and that's what's upheld, right? And so, and then of course, women we have a whole other layer of like taking care of everybody <laughs> yes. else first, right? So, I think first is just knowing your worth. Um, y- yes, it's going to feel guilty, but that's okay that it feels guilty, right? Um, and just saying, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to take this time for myself and I will be better. And the world around me, my family, my coworkers, it's going to be better if I actually do this versus I'm at, I'm on a short fuse. My cup is empty and it's, it's not pretty. Right. And then I hurt people, et cetera. Right. Um, and then knowing yourself and recognizing really listening into what is it, what it is that actually helps you slow down what actually fills your cup? And sometimes I find that women can be, some of the women that I work with feel like, actually, I don't even know what's draining for me. I don't even know what's strengthening for me. I do what I'm told that's supposed to fill me for self-care, but they haven't even like paid attention to, well, does that actually work for me? Is that just a performative thing? Does that actually refuel me? And so it takes a little bit of stretching that muscle of self-awareness of knowing what works for me. And it could be different. So when I'm, I'm an extrovert, but when I'm burnt out, I have very different needs that will fill my cup than when I'm in a more active season of my life. Right. So it's very organic. It's tuning in. It's being curious. Um, it's listening to the cost, knowing what your red flags are, knowing what the invisible cost is when you don't, when you don't slow down, what does that feel like in your body? How does, what does that, what are the actual signs in your life when that begins to happen? Um, and then actually doing, now this is a longer term thing, but I think it's actually getting to the roots of why we struggle or burn out or whatever in the first place. Because I think we're very like, it can be very easy to be stuck on just the bubble baths and the glasses of wine and the chocolate. I mean, I love all those things too, but really well, why do I keep ending in this place? What are the stories that get me there? Why do I keep landing here? But not in a shame, shame kind of a way, but in more of a curious curiosity and compassion. Like there's a reason why that pattern is there and why you have a hard time putting yourself first or why you have a hard time slowing down. Um, And how do we begin to actually speak to those parts of ourselves and give ourselves permission to tend to those? And then the last piece I think is just being (sighs) baby steps, gentle, gentle, gentle. Sometimes we're like, oh, but I need to like sign up for a retreat and spend the whole day away or I need to do like or with art. It's like I need to do this whole thing. And there's just this perfectionism, all or nothing thinking that that is you means you're not going to get started probably or you, you won't be doing it very frequently. Right. So that and that was me. that's right. 
<laughs> so like, what's the most baby step thing you can do? And if you are, say, a mom with little kids at home, then, okay, your time in the bathroom might be it. And that's okay. But be really intentional with that time in the bathroom then, right? <laughs> Whatever that might be, like, what is the most doable, imp- impossible to fail thing to support yourself, um, even for a moment? Oh, Justine, I love absolutely everything you said. And one of the, the phrase that you use, what is the invisible cost? Mm. That, you know, is one of the things that I, it, myself included, that a lot of women I don't think stops to think about that invisible cost of not taking care of themselves. Yes. And that <laughs> invisible cost adds up over time. It does. Yeah. It can be really powerful. I think that's where journaling can help or, or speaking out loud to somebody. You know, when you speak your truth out loud, it's <laughs> sometimes you don't even realize it was there and then it comes out and you're like, oh, I didn't even know that was there. And just, yeah, becoming aware, oh, this is actually how I'm feeling. Or I, I think so that's why sometimes arguments get to be the way they are. You didn't even know that there were things building up until there's an opportunity for it to spill out in some way, right? So yeah, women are paying, we are paying a, a cost all the time if we're yeah with our with there's a cost and a gain for everything we choose to do or not choose to do subconsciously or consciously you know and I used to tell that to my children when they were younger you can do anything you want but you're going to have to pay for whatever you whatever choice you make and that choice can be good or that choice can be not so good right (laughs) yes so poke Talking about journaling and and self-care, I know that you use um, guided prompts and visualization. Could you give some tips on how how you work with that or how you would explain or, or tell someone else how to work with that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I guess first I'll share briefly what my process is, and then I've got some rules guidelines, guidelines to help engage, because I think a lot of it is our mindset that we get stuck. So my first step is just brain dumping. Like I just very stream of consciousness, right, whatever. Sometimes I do seasonally, I do more of a prompt, like actual prompts, reflective prompts. But on a daily basis, it's literally just a brain dump. Notes of conversation, aha moments I had, maybe I had there's I'll probably journal about this conversation and the things that kind of struck me in a new way it could be I mean it could be anything uh and then it ha- it's important that it's it's not important I feel like it's important that it's something that you enjoy so paper that you like a pen that you really like right and really make it a little luxury for yourself and if you're not able to do that that's okay too still just jot it down. I mean, I have ADHD. So some of the, a lot of my stuff is just written on the backs of pieces of paper or whatever. And that's fine. There's no judging around that. Um, and if possible for it to be an environment you enjoy. Now, if that's not possible, that's okay. Um, I'm very much about if I'm out and about, and a thought comes to me, I'll just type it in a digital note so I can get to it later. Right. I just want to capture it so I can come to it later if I want to. Right. Um, and then here's where the structures I think uh, the guidelines are helpful. These are around creativity. They're around journaling. They're around anything that you feel the sense of like all or nothing or perfectionism or it needs to look a certain way, et cetera. So one is just simply to actually practice presence with yourself in that moment. Know that you are 
like acknowledge and celebrate the fact that you are just making space for yourself. And for some people, that's going to be a miracle that they are doing this. And so I don't, I want, I always encourage people and thank people for showing up in a space that that is an investment in yourself. So be present to yourself as best as you can um, and notice what's coming up for you. So whether it be something positive is coming up, something challenging is coming up and just to lean into that and to, I've, mentioned this earlier, just being present in that moment and not worry about the outcome so much, right? Because a lot of, it took me a while to realize before I started this reflective expressive lettering practice, I would just brain dump and never read it again. I used to feel guilty about that, but I don't anymore. It had a purpose in the moment to just get it out. So it's not festering in my brain or whatever, right? So you might go through a certain season where you're doing a certain way and you might change that. And that is a, okay. Um, so then the next thing I would say is just being curious and being compassionate, super curious and super compassionate. So it might be because I, for some people, this is me included, writing sometimes stresses me out. I hate writing emails. <laughs> I hate writing letters that I really, if, if an email comes from a friend that I really want to write a thoughtful response to, I get stressed out because I want it to, I want it to be all that. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think there's, there's a lot of judging around writing sometimes. And so if that's too stressful for you, don't even write. Maybe scribble. What color are you feeling? Take your kids' crayons. You know, take your paints that are sitting there not seeing the light of day. Use an, do an audio recording if you're more of a verbal processor. Like there's no one right way to do it. And I think just being curious about trying different ways that work for you and you might change it later. And that's totally fine. No judging allowed. And if you try it and you don't like it, why don't you like it? What is it about it that was stressful? So even just me identifying that writing stresses me out sometimes, right? So, or I don't like the way that this particular thing looks, or I feel bad with my painting. But in having that spirit of playfulness and openness, we can actually maybe discover some new things. So if I, I've started taking some art classes because I don't feel... Like I'm good at art that's not around letters. That's why I draw letters, right? So, <laughs> and I, I, I had, su I've had such a great time looking at how childish my paintings look. There's something very refreshing and simple about it. And before, I think I would have judged it a lot and felt like, oh, you know, I should be, I should. This feels bad. I'm not gonna. It doesn't look good. I'm gonna stop doing this because it's so uncomfortable, right? So just letting go of that perfectionist and 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 going with the flow and having more of that openness. And I think the most connected to all of that is creating a sense of safety for yourself, right? So if it does, if it's like sometimes it's like yes, lean into the discomfort, and other times it's like okay, there's something coming up here, and I don't know that I'm ready to deal with that right now, and that's okay then to shelve it take it to your therapist, to a close trusted friend when you're ready. Because I think whenever we feel resistances like that, um, that's the opportunity for us to recognize like, okay, is that just a learned reaction that I have here that I can kind of gently coax myself? Or is it actually like a sign that you're like, your body and your brain is like, no, that's not safe for me right now to go through that. Or um, it could even be positive. Like I'm not a big crier. I like to talk about my emotions, but I don't like to feel them. And so if I'm watching a, sometimes if I'm watching a commercial or watching a movie, I'm not a crier, but if I do start crying, I get super curious. I'm like, okay, there's something going on that, you know, that touched you during that. And it could be a moving moment. 
it's usually connected to a core value that I didn't realize that I had. Um, it could be, it could be anything, right? So just getting curious, getting super curious and playful about that um, and taking note of that and honoring that part of you and, and engaging more of that part of you in the future. Those are all wonderful tips on how to, how to, you know, use the guided prompts and visualization. And I am a crier. I cry when I'm happy and I cry when I'm sad. Yeah, I can see a commercial, you know, about, <laughs> I don't know, animals or babies and I'm, and I'm boohooing. But, yeah. you know, I, I think I should do be a little bit more curious about why I'm crying mm. about mm. those particular moments that I'm seeing. Responses, yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah. But I wanted to mention... Um, I wrote down a quote that I saw on one of Twyla Tharp's, I mean, I believe I'm saying her name right, um, in one of her books about discipline and routine and around creativity, because I want to just, I want to say it and I want to see what you think about this. Mm-hmm. She said that discipline and routine are as much a part of the creative process as that lightning bolt of inspiration, maybe more. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, I thought, oh, that kind of takes away from the creativity, you know, that (laughs) part. (laughs) But then I'm like, but you've got to have that discipline, like you're Mm -hmm. taking your art class to Mm -hmm. just keep doing it. Yes. Yes. It's so funny because I think creatives, we just resist against uh any kind of constraint and I but I have to feel inspired and I literally just read in this book today about the example of an airplane right it is the most constricting thing ever because you have all of these rules and you're physically constrained in this tiny little spot even the bathroom was super uncomfortable everything about it is just so constricted but you have that's the cost that's the the condition that is necessary so that you can have the freedom of going to new places, right? And it seems counterintuitive. It's or playing a game of any kind, sports or board game. You need the rules so that you can actually have the boundaries of how to um, show up. But I think also connected to that is how creativity is a muscle and mindfulness is a muscle, right? So I believe that everybody has it at all times, but you might be kind of atrophied and out of shape with it. And that's okay. So it might take a while. If I haven't been self-reflective for a while, and if I haven't been in these practices for a while, I, I might be a little bit rusty. And even with my lettering, it actually, it is rusty. <laughs> it's, there is a backtrack. There's a warm up period that needs to happen and that's fine. You know, embrace that. And just the, you know, the, yeah, I just think that it's, there's, it's so true. We resist it, but it's the showing up regularly that our brains then begin to get trained and become more nimble at being ready to do that. And then, of course, it's not all going to be great and it's not all going to be inspired and that's okay, right? But if you only wait for the inspired times, they're going to be pretty amazing, yes, when they're inspired for sure. But I think it is that discipline. I don't even like that word, <laughs> but I, I I get it. I totally get it. And I, I see it's such a paradox. It's a beautiful paradox, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Because if we wait for that inspiration, we may be waiting and only have that inspiration once a month or once a quarter. 
you know? Yeah. And I think it also reminds me of a conversation I heard of someone who said that in their, at the dinner table uh, growing up, they always, every day, they always talked multiple questions. And one of them was, how did you fail today? And it's the, it's the showing up, creating the messy stuff regularly. So you train your brain to be okay with the fact that it's not always going to look great. And in fact, if for a better, sometimes you get an inspired piece where it's like, yes, this is so clear. And it didn't take any time to do this. And other times it'll be like, wow, I had to try 20 times before I could get that in a coherent sense that, that I want to, that I'm comfortable with. Right. And that's okay. Right. All of it's okay. (laughs) Absolutely. And creativity and blocks why do you think we have so many blocks around creativity? Do you think it's the because we want to be perfect? I think that's a big part of it, particularly, I, we all have different reasons, but I feel like your audience, which I put myself in there too, is, is the perfectionism. For whatever reason, we are like, or like, say, for example, we're inspired by a particular artist or a particular whatever, the teacher, instructors, whatever. And then you're comparing yourself to that. But you're, you can't because that they've been doing it for how much longer? That's not a fair comparison. So I think comparison also gets in the way of our sense of creativity. Um, I think being creative is very vulnerable. It's quite courageous to, again, because of the messy middle, which our world is not about uh, cultivating that all. It's messy, doesn't look good. But I also think that there, the messages that we, we have learned along the way to tell ourselves about why we're allowed to do that or not even like think about it as adults when we have little kids and we're not comfortable with mess and we're just like get it together like oh my gosh you're making such a mess even a little child learning how to eat is such a mess right um and as adults we like to keep things under control I think and more predictable so I think there's a little bit of that too and so I do think that at some point we've adopted those messages somewhere along the way that tell us no I can't be creative or I'm not a good artist or I or those messages around self-care where I can't do this because of this or that. And just becoming aware of those messages, then we can actually shift them and change them. Um, I think makes a huge difference of how we engage. Yeah, I think that whole, that we're, we're kind of doing a circle back around that whole self-awareness, mm-hmm. you know, being self-aware about ourselves. And and again, I like the term that you used at the beginning of our conversation, um, self-advocacy. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. And I know we're getting to the end of our time and, and, I'm, and I don't want to hold you up, but I have just a couple more things because I'm loving everything about this conversation. You also hold conversation circles, which by the way, I love that term, conversation circle, called Holding Safe Space to Address Anti-Asian Hate. What has that been like for you in terms of self-love? This is such a great question. Um, And as I had mentioned, my cultural background was not dealing with emotions at all and not having language around that. And then we also just are conflict of, like we're just avoiders. Like we're, we're indirect in our communication style, culturally speaking. That's just how it works generally. And you always use self stuff for the sake of the good, right? So there's a bit of that Eastern Western value divide or contrast that is there. So this conversation circle came up just 
obviously the anti-Asian hate stuff cropped up in April, but also with COVID. Um, it's been going on for a long time, but it finally got public consciousness at that time. And it for me, it actually really was a place for, that was my way of processing. And I took, I realized this last week in, a, in another conversation circle that I was not hosting, but I realized with these hard things that are happening in the world right now, my style of engaging First, I start in a place of paralysis and numbness. That's I always start there. And then I move into a place of self-education because I want to find out more. It's my way of, even with COVID, I was, I'd never watched the news. And then suddenly I was on the news all the time. Just my way of educating and feeling some sense of certainty and control and getting to know the topic. But then I quickly go into like advocacy and action, right? I kind of skip myself in the process. And so for me, it really was, a, it, it was my way of, educating myself because growing up in North America, I did, I did identify more as white and just wanting to belong. So I had never done the work before on my own Asianness. I did more work on Black Lives Matters because my, I'm in an interracial relationship. And so there was a, it, there was a, some guilt coming to this topic, feeling like, but you haven't looked at this before. Who are you to hold this conversation circle? Um, even though you see a need for it, but why are you the one doing it? So there was all of that inside chatter, but because there was an Asian therapist friend of mine who was also wanting to do the same thing, we collaborated together and to do it together was also an act of self-care, right? To be able to not do my usual, I am doing it all by myself and I am the savior of the world and those instincts. And what ended up happening, and I do think that there is something for universally, regardless of what your racial background or cultural background is, there was this theme that came up for all the Asians who showed up in that circle where we were not used to taking the space for ourselves. We didn't even, a lot of people didn't even know how to articulate how they were feeling. They didn't know how to take up the space to even talk about it. And particularly with some of the indigenous and black flashpoints that are happening both in Canada and the US, there was a lot of like, well, my experience isn't as bad as, you know, these other communities. So I don't want to take up space from that, which are legit. It's valid. It makes sense why that, why we would feel that. So it was really, um, it was quite beautiful to be able to see the power that they felt just by sharing their story and then all the people on the screen nodding at the same time saying, oh, I totally get that. That's been me too. And so for me, for self-care, that has been my way of engaging and not isolating myself, which is my tendency, and actually holding space for other people. But then I, my cup is full as I connect with the stories that people are sharing. Um, and I do believe that community and creativity are the way that we are, are one of, are some of the tools that we can use to to tap into the healing journey as it has been for me. And so, um, but I will also say too, with the self-care piece, I think my, my all or nothing tendency means that I wanted to like do all the things and do a big program and all this. And it was a big deal for us after two circles where we were like, okay, we're not, we're going to stop for the summer earlier than we had anticipated. And any work of advocacy or fighting injustice requires a pacing of ourselves for the long haul. And so that's something I'm in the middle of learning and not rushing myself or other people in the process that it's going to take. Because in a lot of ways, the Asian community, I feel we're a bit like toddlers when it comes to having the language around advocacy um, and processing uh, injustice because we've been so avoidant. 
we've, as a community, we have not stepped into this work for a long time. So I'm taking a lot of my cues in education from the Black and Indigenous community, which I'm so entirely grateful for. Um, but yeah, it's it, the self-care piece in that is a whole other layer of, that's very, it's very new. It's very messy. And we'll see where it goes. <laughs> Justine, I think that that is beautiful work that you're doing, not not only for other people, but yourself as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, you know, and hopefully, you know, my intention when we got on that I set before I got on the call was that our listeners would take away something that would inspire them or for them to feel empowered or for them to be, for them to learn something. And I think even just talking about that conversation circle, that's just one of the many things that we've talked about tonight. I think that intention is, is, is definitely going to be, what's the, what am I trying to say? It's, I feel like it's been fulfilled in our conversation. Mm. Mm, thank you. It, I feel like there was a, a lot of, there was some great stuff. And as an extrovert, some, sometimes new things come out in conversations. That's why I love co-creating conversations like this. So thank you so much for all that you're doing in this space too. All right. Last thing. What would you tell your 18-year-old Justine about the season of life you're in right now? <laughs> yeah, there's a song my dad used to sing when I was a kid. And I'm not going to sing it, but basically it's have patience, have patience. Don't be in such a hurry. When you get impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. And then there's the the last line is something like, so think of all the times that he's been patient with you or something like that. But patience, I'm in a season of being called to slow down and that is not natural to me. And so I think my age... Yeah, (laughs) talking to myself is everything happens in its time. It connects back to the topic, your the title of your podcast. There is a season for everything, so lean into the season for all that it is, because all of the other seasons that will follow will be just on time. Perfect. Perfect. Can you tell our listeners how to how to connect with you on social media, your website, how they can you know work with you? So you can find me at It Just Flows, I-T-J-U-S-T-F-L-O-W-S. That's my website, .com. Uh, Instagram is my main thing. Facebook, I'm I'm in groups, but not the page as much. But that's where you can find me for all the the places. You can follow me for, I do Uh, a lot of prompts and encouragements. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've really loved this conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Leaving a rating and review helps to improve rankings in iTunes. It shows engagement, which may attract sponsors, and it is essential for the podcast to be discovered by new listeners. Plus, it would mean the world to me. Thanks again. Until next time, live inspired.